Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. You'll notice my tone is slightly different today, and that's due to the nature and the seriousness of the topic that I want to explore with you, specifically regarding the recently unsealed 54-count indictment against an organized crime syndicate in the southern U.S. relating to the horrible treatment of people they brought across the border to work on farms and who subsequently were treated as slaves. If you saw my stories on Instagram this week, you got to see my rant on this topic. And honestly, this story struck a real nerve with me. So I thought I would take the time to give it some attention here on the podcast. For those of you unaware of what I'm talking about, two dozen defendants have been indicted on federal conspiracy charges after a three-year investigation into a human smuggling and labor trafficking operation that brought workers from Mexico and Central America to work and live in brutal conditions on several South Georgia farms. Farm worker conditions is nothing new in the news. We've heard before of migrant workers who come here to work being subjected to horrible working conditions because there's nobody to hold the employers accountable. Long hours in the scorching sun without breaks or enough water, no access to medical services, inability to get decent housing or a decent wage. The victims in these indictments suffered all that and more, and what makes it worse is they were brought here legally using a federal program that allows for temporary work visas for foreign agricultural workers on the U.S. soil. But no matter how they get here, The people who are responsible for harvesting much of what we eat here in this country are constantly facing brutal conditions, and I want to take today's episode to remind us all, including myself, what the unseen cost of our cheap food is and try to talk through what we can do about it. Hey, I'm Karen, and together with my husband, I spent over a decade researching and learning and building our small farm through lots of trial and error, successes and failures. I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture to help our farm business, and now I want to pass all that knowledge on to you. Because I firmly believe that self-reliance is empowering, and that everyone, whether you've got a five-acre plot in the country, a half-acre lot in suburbia, or a windowless room in a downtown apartment, should just grow something. Many countries rely on migrant workers to help fill labor shortages, and the pay that these workers receive is actually a vital source of their family's income, and in turn, a source of economics for their home country. But it's not an easy way to work or to live. Workers coming in from other countries are cut off from their family and their support networks. They're usually unaware of local laws or even the language, and if they travel here illegally, they do not have the same rights as resident workers. This makes migrant workers particularly vulnerable to abuse and to exploitation. In many poorer countries, there are bad actors and agencies that target vulnerable and unemployed populations, tricking them into taking out huge loans to cover their fees for arranging travel and placing them in work in another country. But once they get to the U.S. or whatever their host country is, a lot of the time they realize that the majority of their wages is going to go back into repaying those unscrupulous loans, in addition to finding housing and transportation and just feeding themselves. This leaves them barely enough money to survive on, let alone to save up and send back home, which was the whole idea in the first place. 
and their working conditions are often dangerous and their living conditions less than ideal, if not downright awful. And if they're undocumented or working illegally, they are usually too fearful of being reported to the immigration authorities to complain about their conditions. Now, I'm not going to dive into the plight of undocumented migrant workers on this episode because that's a whole other subject to unpack. But let's just say that workers that come here illegally are pretty much always exploited and often face horrific conditions while trying to support their families. Instead, I've spent the last several days digging deep into all the data I can find on federal programs for legally bringing in foreign guest workers and trying to sort through report after report from news agencies and investigative journalists of the unseen horrors that occur in our food system with workers who are brought here for temporary agricultural work. I could spend months on all of this and still not come up with a comprehensive way to explain everything that I've found. So forgive me in this episode if I only skim the surface. I think touching on it is better than ignoring it, even if I don't have any answers for you. So let's start with the South Georgia case. The indictment in USA versus Patricio et al. details felony charges resulting from an organized crime drug enforcement task force investigation called Operation Blooming Onion, which would be a humorous name if the subject was anything but what it is. The investigation was led by Homeland Security and included some other federal agencies. It spanned at least three years, and the indictment documents dozens of victims of what amounts to modern-day slavery. It spells out the illegal acts that brought these exploited workers into the United States and imprisoned them under inhumane conditions as contract agricultural laborers on several South Georgia farms. So U.S. government agencies began investigating the Patrizio criminal organization in November of 2018. The indictment says that during or before 2015, the conspirators and their associates, quote, engaged in mail fraud, international forced labor trafficking, and money laundering, among other crimes, end quote. And this was done fraudulently using the H-2A work visa program to smuggle foreign nationals from Mexico, Guatemala, and Honduras into the United States under the pretext of serving as agricultural workers. So first of all, what is the H-2A work visa program? This program was created back in the 1980s, but I only just heard about it this past year when I was listening to a farming podcast. The basics of the program sound like a win-win for both the worker and the farmer. An H-2A visa allows a foreign worker into the United States for temporary agricultural work. This can be done by a U.S. employer, a U.S. agent, or an association of U.S. agricultural producers that are all named as a joint employer. The H-2A program is intended to be a way for agricultural employers who anticipate having a shortage of workers to bring non-immigrant guest workers to the U.S. to perform temporary or seasonal agricultural labor. Now, this can be as short as a month or two or as long as 10 months, although there are some special circumstances that allow workers to stay longer. And all of these workers are supposed to be covered by U.S. wage and labor laws, workers' compensation, and all the other standards that U.S. workers are afforded. 
This program is supposed to make it easier for farms to bring in temporary non-resident workers legally. It requires the workers to work for one specific farm or association, the one that's sponsoring them to come in. And it requires H-2A employers to pay the workers inbound and outbound transportation, provide free housing, and provide meals for the workers. Now, that does sound like a great program. The farm gets the extra temporary workers they need. The workers get to enter the country legally. They get paid a fair wage, get housing and food, and then when the work is done, they head back home. And in fact, a lot of farms in the U.S. rely on the H-2A program for their seasonal workers. Many of them actually hire the same workers year after year and develop relationships with them and their families. These are the cases where it's a good option to get help from workers coming in from outside the U.S. who are happy with a temporary work situation and know the conditions they should expect and the wages they'll receive. It's not intended to be a path to citizenship in any way. It's simply a work program. And since the U.S. has begun to crack down on migrant workers who enter the country illegally and crack down on those that employ them, this program has gotten a lot more attention and many more applicants over the past five to ten years, which should be great for all parties involved. Like I said, we know that agricultural workers that come here illegally are pretty much always exploited. The H-2A program aims to help resolve that. The program is supposed to be a better alternative to illegal residency for both the workers and the employers. However, just like any government program, it can be abused, as it was in the case in the indictment of the Georgia farms. To qualify for H-2A classification, the employer must offer a job that is temporary or seasonal. They have to demonstrate that there are not enough U.S. workers who are able, willing, qualified, and available to do the temporary work. In fact, they have to show proof that they put out advertisements to U.S. workers for the available positions before looking to hire workers from outside the country. They also have to show that employing H-2A workers will not adversely affect the wages and the working conditions of similarly employed U.S. workers. Everybody has to be treated equally. The other requirement for this is that these jobs must all be agricultural in nature. There is another separate but similar program for non-agriculture jobs under the H-2B program. You cannot have a worker with an H-2A work visa work on a construction site and vice versa. Now, partly for this reason and partly because of concern that guest workers could be unfairly exploited, go figure, The U.S. Department of Labor is supposed to be especially vigilant in auditing and inspecting these employers to ensure that the requirements are being met. Here's the shocker. That doesn't happen as often as it should. And when it does, and when violations are found, the employers often only face a fine and a slap on the wrist, and then they've been allowed to continue to bring workers in on these H-2A visas. They're very rarely ever excluded from the program due to violations. So these workers may be being put right back into the same working conditions this program was created to avoid. But now they're here under the thumb of a specific employer who has a sort of legal chain on them. The employer essentially owns the visa and the worker is stuck where they are or they're forced to leave the country. By its own admission, 
the Labor Department frequently finds some sort of problems with guest workers' labor conditions. I downloaded the data, which I'll link to in the show notes, but fair warning, there are over 320,000 rows of data, so have fun with that. For fiscal year 2021, the agency found over 17,000 violations under the H-2A program, many of them involving workers being cheated out of wages. In most instances, these infractions are minor, and there were over 7,000 workers that received back pay because of the Labor Department investigations. The average back pay amount was less than $800, so it sounds like the violations aren't that egregious. In most reports, what I found was things like advertising multiple requirements for U.S. workers, but then not applying the same conditions to the H-2A workers, or paying H-2A workers a higher rate than corresponding U.S. workers doing the same jobs. Now, these are the types of things that are designed to kind of get around the requirement to hire U.S. workers first. Since by advertising the lower rate or the additional job requirements, the employer may have discouraged U.S. workers from applying for those jobs. There are also instances of not paying workers visa fees or reimbursing their travel costs as required. What I couldn't find in the data, though, was how many violations related to working and living conditions, and that's a problem. The reasons behind some of these violations may have been because hiring guest workers instead of U.S. workers makes them easier targets for manipulation and exploitation. Plus, these are only the companies that were inspected and violations that were discovered. The Labor Department has seen a decrease in available investigators over the past decade, even though the numbers of H-2A visas have continued to increase. So fewer investigators available to inspect more working conditions. It's a situation that's rife for problems to go undiscovered. So let's review that Georgia indictment, shall we? Remember, this all started in 2015 or before. So the conditions I'm going to describe to you had been going on for at least six years before these indictments were handed down. The conspirators required the workers to pay for transportation, their food, and their housing, which is not allowed under the H-2A program, while at the same time illegally withholding their travel and identification documents. You can't bring someone into this country to work and then confiscate their papers. The accused, we'll call them the accused, subsequently subjected these workers to, and I quote, perform physically demanding work for little or no pay, housing them in crowded, unsanitary, and degrading living conditions, and by threatening them with deportation and violence, end quote. According to government officials, exploitation of the workers included being required to dig onions with their bare hands, being paid 20 cents for each bucket harvested, and being threatened with guns and violence to keep them in line. The workers were allegedly held in cramped, unsanitary quarters and fenced work camps with little or no food, limited plumbing, and no safe water. The conspirators are accused of raping kidnapping, and threatening or attempting to kill some of the workers or their families, and in many cases sold or traded the workers to other conspirators. And at least two of the workers died as a result of workplace conditions. And of course, it was all for the money. These folks are alleged to have reaped more than $200 million from this illegal scheme, 
laundering the funds through cash purchases of land, homes, vehicles, and businesses, cashier's checks, and by funneling millions of dollars through a casino. Then, as the continuing investigation moved forward in late 2019, the indictment alleges that three of the conspirators attempted to intimidate and persuade a witness to lie to a federal grand jury and deny any knowledge of the illegal activities of the Patricio organization. Now, the numbers and the lines of data that I sifted through and the reports of real people talking to real people, and cases like this big one in Georgia, seem to all tell a completely different story. This may seem like it's just an occasional occurrence, and the government agencies did their jobs to take care of the bad actors. But private investigations from news outlets and investigative journalists revealed countless cases of worker exploitation that goes unchecked under the H-2A program. And like I said, None of this takes into consideration the undocumented workers who don't have the government checking up on them. Salamar Mercado Spencer is a senior staff attorney at the Farm Worker Rights Division of the Georgia Legal Services Program. Now, this is a, a nonprofit law firm that represents abused and exploited farm workers in Georgia. And she said basically that what was going on in this Operation Blooming Onion investigation was just another day in South Georgia, and that what the defendants are accused of doing is basically common practice and has been going on for a long time in that state. I quote her here. She said, this has been happening for a long time in Georgia, and these people that were arrested are not the only ones doing these things. I hope law enforcement keeps busting these operations because that's not the only one going on in Georgia. All you see is your onions at Kroger. You can go buy them. You don't know where they came from, but this is happening and nobody notices it. And these are essential workers that have been keeping us fed through the pandemic, end quote. Now, Bruce Goldstein, the president of Farm Worker Justice, which is another advocacy group, says, quote, there are many employers that comply with the law, but they are being undermined by the companies that want to reduce their cost and increase their profitability by cheating workers. We need to create a law abiding agricultural sector to benefit both the farm workers and the employers that comply with the law, end quote. In reality, all of this is to say that people can treat people really, really horribly in the name of profit. And this is all over something that we rely on as a basic human need, food. Companies are exploiting other human beings who are simply trying to provide for their own needs and the needs of their families so we can have an onion that's a few cents cheaper per pound. Why? Because our food has become industrialized. It's no longer a basic need. It's a commodity, just like anything else, which means corporations control the majority of it, which means it has to make a profit. Plain and simple. Human beings are being exploited, overworked, underpaid, abused, and sometimes dying because a company needs to make more money. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So what do we do? My first reaction, my gut reaction to this, is to turn inward, grow more of my own stuff, buy directly from the farmers I know are growing their own stuff, and tell the grocery store to kiss off. Now, I know that's not practical, and even if it were practical for me, it's certainly not practical for everybody. Not everyone has the space to grow all their own food, and not everyone can afford to even care about where that food is coming from. I couldn't as a young mom. My only concern was filling the kids' bellies, not whether or not it was humanely raised or organic or whatever. My husband and I now have worked our way to the point where we can make that decision and can prioritize our food choices and put more of our dollars towards knowing where our food is coming from than, say, some luxury item that we don't need. But it's taken us decades to get to that point, and we don't have as many mouths to feed here anymore. Not everybody's in that position. So what's an eater to do? How do we get to the point where we know the food we're feeding our family is being grown and harvested by people who are being treated fairly for their work? Because that's really what it comes down to, right? Just being fair about it. We work really hard on our farm and we don't make a ton of money doing it, but our bills are paid and there isn't anybody standing over me 15 hours a day with a shotgun telling me I have no choice to be doing what I'm doing at the rate I'm doing it. I go into the house at night to a decent meal, clean water, a hot shower, and a comfortable bed. I don't think it should be a stretch for other people who are working to feed me to have their same basic needs attended to. I know there are food labels for products coming in from other countries that can show that the workers and the farmers growing those products have been paid a fair price for their goods. These are voluntary labels like the fair trade label, that companies can choose to apply for. Part of this is because there are still countries that practice things like forced labor, bonded labor, and modern-day slavery right out in the open. And it's incumbent upon food importers to be sure that they're not knowingly encouraging those practices. A fair trade organization works to guarantee the farmer receives a fair price for their goods at the same time that the farm's are offering safe working conditions and using ecologically sound growing practices. That believe that that now actually applies towards farms here in the U.S. and products that carry the Fair Trade U.S. label. I'm not aware of any other label in this country that checks the quality of the labor conditions on a given farm here or for a given product that ensures those workers are being treated humanely and fairly. We have multiple labels for the treatment of livestock, the impact on wild fish and birds, the rainforest, the safe handling of our food, the sustainability of our food, but only one that I've found that considers the human component. Now, thankfully, there are activist organizations and farm labor groups that have taken up the mantle of helping to protect farm workers, and that may be where we need to start. These are not governmental agencies, but nonprofit organizations providing legal funds and trying to increase protections for those workers who have been considered essential this whole time but haven't been treated as such. 
I found a list of 15 such organizations, and many of them have accounts on social media that you can follow. I'll link to the list in the show notes, and I'm sure there are a ton more out there that I haven't found. If you're moved to, and you know I've been, maybe this is where we start. Support these groups that are on the ground and in the middle of what's going on. Yes, buy directly from a local farmer that you know when you can, of course. But if you're called to do more, find an organization whose mission speaks to you and do what you can to get involved and help. Even though I love that there is an organization like Fair Trade out there doing what they can to point out the companies that are doing it the right way, I don't think the solution is more labels on our food. We've got enough of those. An affiliation with that label is voluntary. These companies need to be seen and need to be forced to treat their workers as what they are, people, fellow human beings deserving of fair pay and treatment for the work that they do. The good news is the charges have all piled up against the Patricio Crime Organization for their treatment of those workers on the South Georgia farms. The charges of forced labor and conspiracy to engage in forced labor uh, each carry penalties of up to life in prison, while the charges of mail fraud, conspiracy to commit mail fraud, money laundering conspiracy, and tampering with a witness each carry penalties of up to 20 years in prison. Plus, each of these charges also includes substantial financial penalties and periods of supervised release after completion of any prison term. So hopefully, those responsible will face the consequences of their actions. I know this is a heavy topic, but I think it's an important one. And my hope with this brief reminder of what happens in our food system sometimes is to just put it a little further toward the front of your mind when you're shopping for your food. If you have a way to know who it is that's growing and harvesting your food, take advantage of it. If you can't, maybe try to support an organization that has boots on the ground trying to prevent these things from happening. And if you're not in a financial position to do any of these things, then simply following the social media accounts of those organizations and sharing the work that they're doing can help by spreading awareness of what's going on. The more people know, the more they can help. Thanks for listening today. I'll talk to you again on Tuesday. You've just listened to another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. Don't forget to download the episode after you've listened, rate and review us in your podcast player if that's an option, and follow us on Instagram at Just Grow Something Podcast. All these things help gardeners like you find me and hopefully join the Just Grow Something family. Don't forget to send in those gardening questions through a voice message at the link in the show notes or via email to grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden and I will talk to you again soon.